0: Before an athlete even touches a bar, they have to earn the right to use that. I use Stu McGill's idea of you have to hold a two-minute plank. If you do that, then you've shown us that you have appropriate back and hip control, right? I'm not worried about too, you can control your spine. Um, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is then I just use the RKC standard of you need to be able to hit a 100 kettlebell snatches in five minutes and it's all based off of body weight but you need to earn the right you need to show us that you have appropriate control of your body and you have a starting strength level
1: that was strength coach carmen potta speaking on prerequisites to barbell lifting in his sports performance program you're listening to the just fly performance podcast Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 146 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and today on the show, we have strength coach Carmen Pata. Uh, Carmen is the head strength and conditioning coach at UW-River Falls or University of Wisconsin-River Falls. I think I was a Wisconsin lacrosse alumni from their graduate school program, so it was always UW, you know, whatever school, UW-Eau Claire. (laughs) So Wisconsin, yes, so it's, it's always good to get back and talk with coaches from my home state and uh, Carmen is a two-time nominee for National Strength Coach uh, of the Year through the uh, National Strength Coaches Association. He's written a couple books as well as lots of articles, including some articles for our sponsor, simplyfaster.com on their excellent blog. And that was actually what would led me to reach out to Carmen. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was just practical application uh, and and doing so in a way that's simple and understandable and that you know is making an, an impact. And the, one of the themes of this show has always been for me taking a lot of complex information and trying to make things as simple as possible and then putting maximal intent behind those simple things or a maximal, um, you know, you can dissect it as much as you want at that point, but getting things to a manageable standpoint that they make noticeable results and that was what again what really stood out to me with Carmen's work uh, some uh, the big article actually that initially got my attention was things to do in between weightlifting sets and he had a complex array of like vision training exercises which I had experimented with but it kind of put on the back burner and um, his use of vision training in between sets is something that really reignited my thoughts there and so you know we we talk about the art of coaching and I think that the art of coaching is probably no more clear and present and needed it is at all levels absolutely but when you are the only strength coach the only full-time strength coach at a school and you have large groups and you have to manage large groups and d- athletes who are on different levels and classes and as well as a place where you are not getting the most physically gifted athletes necessarily a smaller division 3 school or a division 3 school versus a uh, division 1 And the quality of athletes are often going to be a little bit different. They're coming in with different potential needs than at other universities. So one of the things Carmen is going to discuss that is extremely important is confidence building in the weight room. And adapting the, the ultimate output of the weight room to different sports, be it uh, the spectrum of, say, working with football and what they need and expect and what's going to create the largest dopamine hit in them, the most confidence for what they're doing versus, say, women's soccer and what is going to give them the greatest amount of confidence to take what they're doing onto the field of play. Um, outside of that and just how he goes about doing that, uh, Carmen, as we talked in the teaser, he's going to talk about how to earn the barbell. And that's just a theme that I always enjoy talking with coaches about. And there's always, I think, different, every coach has a little different approach to it. But I think we can see that that message is always going to come back to the same place. Is that just because you walk in the weight room doesn't mean that you, it's going to be a good idea for you to put a bar on your back and start cranking away. There's other things that can and should come first That will set you up for greater success down the line that as Corey Schlesinger said, make you a better human being. So it was really cool to get Carmen's take a simple and also pretty difficult test out of of being a good human being to earn the barbell. And so I almost, I almost feel like it would be cool as I do all these to start to accumulate this library of initial competency tests. And the way Carmen uh, does it within his small school setting is really cool, too, because it, is, uh, it almost works in a class-by-class class setting where the upperclassmen can be a, part, a strong part of what the underclassmen are doing in their initial competency and, and testing out there. And so again, the art of coaching and always like hearing stories on that. Carmen is going to go into his year-to-year progression and emphasis. So, how do his athletes progress as they come in freshman, freshmen in need of strength and just general physical abilities and how do they progress through sophomore, junior and senior years using some of the common uh, strength training means that are out there? So, what is that? What does that year-to-year progression look like? and again it's just always interesting to see where what's your endgame where are you go where are we going with this what are we going to do when when we before we even get to barbells what are we going to do once we have achieved a good level of maximal strength and how do we view progress over time and then the last thing as i mentioned before that we're going to get into is Carmen's utilization of vision training in, in between sets. So again, always looking for transfer, trying to find it in any place you can. And the fact that he does this with large groups, being the only full-time strength coach, is just amazing. And so uh, let's get on to our In the Trenches talk uh, with strength coach Carmen Pata. Yeah, being being that far north, man, it's like, what were you, mid-April? like So pretty much it's not till... It won't be for another month where it's like, okay, now we can really play outdoor, you know, spring semester sports and not have to worry about like the terrible, yeah, like, I I think it was like mid-April once in Wisconsin lacrosse and it was snowing at a track meet and we had to cancel it. And I'm just like, this is just, this is, this is not, even living in
0: Milwaukee, we never did that, you know? I, Oh, I know. I mean, last week, what was it, Thursday, we got a foot of snow, 14 inches and just, (laughs) blizzard condition is just terrible. I'm just I'm looking at, you know, all that happens. And then it's the system juggling around because, all right, spring sports have to be inside for the practice. How does that impact all the running offseason conditioning work that we're doing with our, you know, fall and winter teams? And, you know, luckily the athletes are pretty, they're pretty good about last minute change of adjustments because of weather and you Know it's not perfect, but we're trying to get something done.
1: Yeah, you guys are used to it. It's well, it's Absolutely. like <laughs> it's hard to see a white ball uh, if you're playing baseball or softball in the middle of the snow, I'm sure. It's, <laughs> but we all grew up. I mean, did you grow up in Wisconsin?
0: I did. Uh, I, I grew up in Oshkosh and then moved up here for uh, school for college in what was it 95 and so been up in the northern part of the state ever since.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, my dad's from Oshkosh. I, I feel but, like I feel like it's almost like in Wisconsin, you have to grow up like like throwing a ball around in the snow. Like maybe it's vision training, right? Like,
0: well, absolutely. I mean, when we were coaching, when I was coaching football, and I always talked to the guys about when it's snowing, it's a good thing because when you have snow during a football game, that's playoff time. Yeah, so be excited for it, celebrate it, and go from there
1: yeah it's just it's just a totally different context of things it's like um in a way it's almost like i was i was talking with christian thibodeau a couple episodes ago and he was talking about maybe even those um environments where there's like there's it's like a small country and it's just like kind of one national sport so you don't necessarily have a huge diversity you're still playing that sport maybe in different contexts like you know you're in brazil it's like futsal and then you're just different ways or i when i would spend time I remember I took a trip to the Dominican Republic when I was five and I saw kids playing baseball with a stick and like rocks or something in the street. I mean, it's like just a different context and it forces you in a different way. But like in Wisconsin, it's like, you know, you're playing all these sports in the snow. (laughs) So even if you're a specialized, there's still the potential for, um, uh, or even if you're not, you're you're getting that sport in a dramatically different way at those points in the year.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you want to get nerdy about it, now we're talking a whole that whole uh, neuroplasticity idea. Of sure, we're playing baseball, but it's really not baseball. It's like you said with the snow in the background now it's a different sort of vision training. Um, with the slipperiness of the infield, outfield, now it's a whole different aspect and how do you how do you cope with those aspects while actually trying to play do something that resembles your actual sport. It's, it's sort of a fun twist on things. Yeah. No, I, I, I always like the
1: things that the, like, that the environment just throws at you and it's like, okay, now deal with it. Now, now create something that revolves around this <laughs> yep. or, or like, uh, like the, I think in Finland, like in ja- then Javelin, I'd hear they would like, the run-up would be in the barn and then they'd throw out this window <laughs> into <laughs> the snow and then they have to go get it, you know? And I don't know. It's just, to me, it's that, that's like kind of like Rocky stuff, you know, it's, it's, uh. uh it's just different, but it's awesome.
0: I know. I give our one of our facility guys on campus here. He was a River Falls alum, and he actually won conference. I can't even remember what uh, – in track for the javelin throw. He has the shortest javelin throw winning throw in the history of the WIAC because it was just a garbage, snowy, rainy, drizzly conference meet. <laughs> And he basically took one step and did a power throw and which was good enough to beat everyone else. And so he's he's like short by I wanna say like twenty meters than is the typical wow. winning throw, but that was just the environment that day and hey, guess what? He won and he's he's banging that drum as loud as he can.
1: Yeah, no, that, that meet has something special to it. I actually the same experience, um it was a meet in Ohio that my junior year and I, I won with like 40 feet less than when I threw that year or I got second with 40 feet less than when I threw that year, but that was actually a total freak blizzard. And it was in late April. That was like, that was like a once in 10 year thing uh, yep. there, but you know, it was, I, it, but that stuff is near and dear to my heart, man. Um. So yeah. So back, so going to, in the weight room out of the elements yeah. and out of the snow Um. you know, I, I really have been enjoying the articles of you that you've written on simply faster and a lot of like, outside the box stuff and different ways of looking at things. And uh, so I don't know. I, a lot of uh, the easy question is what's your philo- Like what's your philosophy? Uh, uh. Uh, so it, I'll try to make things a little more specific. And that's the first one would be, you know, if you, um, Carmen could accomplish uh, one thing in the weight room with your athletes, if there was one main adaptation that you're like, okay, this is like, this is the main thing that we have come
0: here to do. Uh, what would that be? Well, um, I'm glad you put adaptation in there, because when you originally sent me that question, I took it in a whole different spin, because I took it. biggest thing that we're trying to instill with our athletes in the weight room is confidence. And to me, confidence is done by doing those daily disciplines that we all know we're supposed to do, but don't always get it done. Um, but if we're talking about adaptation, I think the biggest thing that uh, we try to accomplish with our athletes is I mean, it might sound trite, but just get stronger. We got some really skilled and overly powered athletes, but they are not. <laughs> their body control and their strength level is just significantly below than what they're supposed to be. It's almost it's almost ridiculous how a kid can jump thirty plus inches and can barely squat two twenty five. You know, it's just. Um, but that's sort of the nature in caliber of division three because we're just getting the kids that are good at the game and they may not have all those physical qualities that allow them to play at a higher level. And so let's get them strong. Let's get them moving right. And like I said, it goes back to developing that confidence because if they have the confidence in their ability and their bodies, then they play at a whole different level, a little higher pace, and they're more willing to take chances because they know they physically know that they can accomplish those things.
1: Yeah, the the confidence thing I've is something, and I don't know. I, I think that you were probably writing something on this, so I don't want to steal your thunder at all. But like, that's something that I've particularly been thinking about this last year, especially when you get to the point in someone's sport. Like, I would work with a lot of individual sports that are timed by the clock, you know, and and mm-hmm. it, and it's like it does get to the point where okay, you're probably strong enough at this point for your specific distance and event and all these things. And there may even be like I said, a set of muscle group or a particular muscle group that we really want to lay back on. But you, uh, you know, it's like I realized that there's and, and talking with Chris Chase about this a few episodes ago. Like there are particular lifts that athletes typically just need a particular amount of confidence in. Um, You know, even if there was you know some athlete from from Europe or you know swimmer, for example, who just didn't even lift and was really fast, it doesn't matter. They there's particular uh, standards that we have and things that it's like you need to get them to feel uh, to feel ready and there's also like the neurochemicals and neurotransmitters that are associated with all that and so I, I know you've I think you've written some stuff on that too like on on how like record like recording and and like and and r- ranking things and I. Uh, Can you uh, kind of fill us in first? I'd like to go down that a little bit, and some ways that you, yeah, instill confidence in your athletes in
0: the weight room. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, (laughs) that is one of the first standing rules that we have in the gym is you're not allowed to say the words "I can't." Um, That's been one of those things that sort of drove me crazy over the time, uh, especially working with some of our Olympic sports. Of you know, we'll load a bar. Hey, we're doing a clean complex, right? So it's a hand-clean shrug, clean pull, uh, clean, and then front squat out of it. And we'll prescribe a weight of, all right, so guys, let's start at 135. Women, we're starting at 95 pounds. Just slowly ramp up and get to a point that you, you're working hard on it. And um, a couple of our Olympic sports, they're like, Coach, I can't do that. Like, how do you know? Well, I, I just can't do that. Said, All right, man, let's back down for a second, give it a shot. Because, you know, I've seen you move. You got sound technique. You're moving well. And so we're just trying to eliminate that mental mindset of, I can't do it, things, and trying to replace it with, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it my best effort. And then, you know, once we're seeing, okay, maybe that person tr- truly can't do that for whatever reason. Um, then we'll start trying things, trying some alternate, um, training ideas, but it goes back to, let's try it, let's work on it and then develop it from there. Because you sort of hit on the idea of the confidence of, if you can, if you can do things that you never thought possible, that to me is the ultimate transfer from the gym to the playing field. Um, in our gym, we have a a bell. It's mounted right outside of our wall. It's like an old church bell um, And we teach our athletes from day one if you when you deserve to ring that bell and you deserve it anytime you hit a new personal record, it could be in a lift, it could be a vertical, it could be a new ten yard sprint time. it could be a body composition change for some of our Athletes that need to lose a little of that extra weight. If you hit a new personal best, you got to take a minute and celebrate it. Because when that bell rings, that's the visual and audio realization that for this person, the impossible just happened. You know, a week ago, 10 days ago, there is no way that they could have made that training goal. But today it happened. And it's sort of a cool thing, Joe, because when that bell rings, the workout stops everyone goes celebrates with that athlete and you know it doesn't matter if it's a football player I mean we got basketball and hockey guys coming in the bell's loud enough that you can hear it throughout the facility so people walking down the hallway if they're involved in athletics they know that if they hear that they come in and celebrate with that athlete it's a really cool situation and it goes back to that idea of just developing confidence in your physical ability that if you work hard and you get your mind right you can actually do those things that you once thought were possible. Yeah, I think that's that's something that's
1: very powerful, and it, it it's not even like a, with the celebration too. Like I was thinking, that's not even just a a training thing. I think it's like a life thing to to take time to step away and celebrate what you've accomplished. Because I think we just kind of we just tend to pass through life and and so fast we sometimes don't do that. And so I think that's. I, I really, I really like that and how you put that and like doing the impossible as well. Like it, to me, I mean, in some ways too, I mean, I guess, you know, we, we talk about goal setting, right. As well. Like, do you think that, uh, I mean, I, and also I was going to say too all this in context of you are the head coach at a, at a smaller school. So you have your coach to athlete ratio is much, much, much higher or lower, whatever way you want to put it right. Like than the other person. So, how do you go about, um, is there a, a streamlined way that you go about kind of either setting these goals or trying to help these athletes, um, like, like set up for these types of things, or is it, is it just really happened within the flow of what you're doing?
0: Ooh, that's a big question. Um, you know, when we're working with athletes, I sorta, and you hit it on the head. I mean, it's myself and I have one part-time assistant who's working full-time hours and getting a part-time paycheck. And, Without um, the people in that position, I, there's no way I could be successful because, like you know, having a kid and having a family, it, it's a lot. And coaching take is a big demand on your time. Um, and at some point, you got to be able to step away and make sure the home team is working right. And that's my wife and my three-year-old. And so having some help um, with the people that have been in that assistant role, that That is the foundation for all the success we have because, you know, when an athlete comes in, the whole goal for us in that first year is we're just trying to teach them, teach them what it means to be a college athlete, going through all the different progressions and regressions, making sure that they're moving correctly. Um, Typically the high school athletes that come into college to our college teams, they are, um, we talked about a little bit before we started recording. They're just, they're very skilled, but they're very weak. And they just don't have that body control. So we, we break things down. We go super slow. Um, one of my ideas is that we need to instill the, the belief that you earn what you get. And so before an athlete even touches a bar, they have to earn the right to use that. I use Stu McGill's idea of you have to hold a two-minute plank. If you do that, then you've shown us that you have appropriate back and hip control, right? I'm not worried about you can control your spine. Um, That's the first part of it. The second part of it is then I just use the RKC standard of you need to be able to hit 100 kettlebell snatches in five minutes. And it's all based off of body weight, but... You need to earn the right. You need to show us that you have appropriate control of your body and you have a starting strength level. For the athletes who have those backgrounds, great. We're going to start going into some bar work, developing some more strength and progressions that way. If they don't, you know, it's not a big deal because we can still accomplish a lot of the training goals that we have with. Uh, kettlebells, med balls, dumbbells. Um, We have a couple pit sharks for loading the squat pattern and developing just sort of those baseline training progressions of, you know, I look at things from an overly simplistic way. If you can push, pull, hinge, squat, carry things, pick things up, those are sort of the base patterns. And whatever tools that you want to use to reinforce those, be it a back squat, a front squat, a goblet squat, lunge variations. You know, it's those tools that sort of create the magic in the weight room, but it comes back to those base ideas. So our freshman year is just all about teaching, making sure people are moving well. Uh, we clean up any major um, unilateral issues that they have. You know, my favorite is I'm going to pick on basketball players because a right-handed player, their left leg is their dominant leg. And when we're doing some single leg jump work with them, we're looking at about a 10 to 20% difference between right leg to left leg because given a choice, they're going up for a right-handed layup. So, you know, I'm not trying to completely bring them back to neutral because that muscle imbalance allows them to do the things that they can do. You know, that sort of gives them their special creation. I'm sorry, their special talents. But with a 20, 20% 20 difference in left leg to right leg strength, and when I say strength, I'm talking about a static strength, a repeated jump index, that is a red flag for me because we're setting them up for failure. And failure to that is usually an injury. Uh, Being a sprained ankle, um, fortunately, we haven't had a whole lot of knee issues, but we sort of have to take a step back, make sure that those uh, disparities are taken care of early in their career. So um, with our freshman year program, like I said, it's just an intro, and we're sort of identifying major movement issues. Sophomore year, we're sort of working on uh, strength development. Let's get people as strong as can. For some of our teams, that means uh, that's one rep strength. Like football is the prime believer. You know, most of the football players that I worked with, they just they want a big back squat. And for good or bad, that's sort of what we do with them because they feed into that program. Um, with some of our, uh, like soccer, for example, our women's soccer team, they could care less about a one rep back squat, and they respond better to like an escalating density style workout. It does matter to me because they're getting strong, they're moving a bunch of weight, they're feeling good. We're reducing their chances for injury. Uh, so sophomore year, it's a big strength development push for us. Junior year, we are. Um, you mentioned Cal, Cal Dietz, because uh, junior year is introduction to the true triphasic ideas that Cal's written about and publicized, uh, which I know he works with people right into their freshman year. But for us, we've seen the best return of you got to be able to be strong first, you know, and strong to me is if you're a guy, we're pushing that, uh Two and a half times bodyweight back squat. If you're a female, it's getting close to that two per, two times bodyweight back squat or estimated maxes, depending on what we're doing. But we start working sort of those neural development patterns their junior year, and going into their senior year of training, um, that is going to Brian Mann's velocity-based stuff because they should have they should move appropriately from their freshman year. By the sophomore year, they should have about the appropriate strength level that they they need for their sport. Junior year, we started working some of the neurologic developments. And then senior year, let's just get you as fast and as powerful as you can. Because, you know, if we're expecting freshmen to win a bunch of games for us, it's probably going to be a real long season. You know, you and I have both been around sports long enough that you need those seniors um, that have been through the program that are developed. If you're really, if you're really hoping to do something special and win some conference championships or move on to the NCAA. So did I answer your question with that, Joel? Yeah, that
1: was, that was really good. And I like, um, well, a couple of things you said. Well, first off, I do think it was interesting, again, going back to being a pretty much the only strength coach. You have one assistant at a, an entire school, right? And like yep. some people would say, well, you know, well, what about, Cause I mean, and the athletes that you guys are getting are not the same as the division one schools, right. And these athletes probably, um, you know, and then you get it across the board with, with all schools. Right. But like, I think I would imagine some people might say, you know, like, do you really have to go, you know, that pace at that yearly schedule and not get to triphasic till a particular time. But I guess your, your pop both population and the fact that you probably don't have the time to. You know have three different programs for each team for each athlete who might have a different level of strength or background coming in right like i would say the rules change probably quite a lot based on where you are versus where at someone who might be at a, a larger school where they only have like four teams or something like that that would be i imagine that would be pretty true, right
0: uh yeah i mean if i did if i only had four teams to work with i'd be <laughs> doing a dance right about now um, <laughs> Because uh, we have, like I said, myself, one part-time assistant and 400 student athletes. Um, It just, you know, at that point, you just have to, you know, we're still trying to serve our athletes as best as we can, but there's, it's just too much, um, and you're going to burn yourself out if you're trying to be overly positioned or sports specific, if you're you know, really trying to hone in on writing an uh, individualistic program for individuals or small groups. Um, now, don't get me wrong. We still target those basic discrepancies. And, you know, people that, you know, um, I'm going to pick on freshman uh, football, basically all the freshman male athletes, they are very anterior chain dominant, they spend their time benching. They spend their time <laughs> doing a lot of barbell curls, maybe some leg extensions. And they have very, very weak posterior chains. Um, and they're also locked up in their movement patterns, too, because of the anterior chain being so strong. So, in that freshman program, um, it goes back to addressing those common issues that we see. And, of course, if you got a kid that comes in, and they are you know they're they're just a stud um, they move around in the program, right? It's not just you're a freshman, this is what you have to do i that' sort of that would be sort of crazy because if they have those abilities, they move well, they're feeling good, they're strong uh, yeah, let's move them up and conversely, I've had fourth and fifth year seniors who have never really progressed to that upper level training programs just simply because they they didn't take it serious there is no no development but um coaches kept them around because they could play the game and so i'm not going to rush somebody through things just because you're a junior well that means you should be doing triphasic work but you know you can't tear it through a wet paper bag that's just not going to happen because you need a certain strength level otherwise for us your injury rates go through the roof and you know if you're sitting in the the training room working in the cold tub you're really not doing any good for your team or your program
1: you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah uh, carmen i was going to ask you talking about those football guys who Mm -hmm. um, you know and, and you see it probably with every sport like even even like my tennis guys, when it's um, you know like dead week or finals week, and they just want to go in the weight room and do whatever, and get a lift in on their own to break the stress or whatever, they don't. You know, they some like some of my athletes will come in and do the stuff that's familiar to them, but I I also have athletes who just come in and do bench and curls. Like this, just like this is what they want to do. Like and so, I get it. And but but uh, I I was gonna say you you had said you know you before you can touch a barbell, you have the Um, you have to do the plank, the sagittal plank competency. But I was kind of curious as to the, why you had chose the RKC um, uh, challenge as a, as a parameter, but now maybe it makes sense to me because it's kind of the opposite of the bench and curl. It's, it's just all posterior chain then basically, right? Like you're just trying to say, Hey, you have to treat your posterior chain. Seriously. We want to get you balanced more. Is that, is that the logic behind it? Or can
0: you talk a little bit more on that? Yeah. uh, That's a great, great way of looking at it. I mean, There's so much. I used, we picked the RKC because, um, frankly, when I was coming up with that idea, it was just, it's hard enough that gives people challenge. But if you have a base strength level, you should be able to pass it. I mean, it's, um, like I said, it sort of teaches you, it's for some of these freshmen, it's their first idea of what work really is. You know, it's not do a set and then take five minutes on your phone. (laughs) talking to somebody, checking Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that, you know, it's a grind. And you're going to be breathing heavy and sweaty afterwards. And sort of that's one of the reasons why I chose that because, like I said, it's sort of that grind. It's that first real welcome, welcome to college, welcome to (laughs) specific training. Um, Secondly, you hit it on the head because it is majorly posterior chain. That right, getting the glutes involved with the hinge, uh, you have to be able to stop the body with a single arm snatch, um, just keep everything locked out and tight. Uh, secondly, it sort of addresses it's an identifier real quick of people that have shoulder and back and hip problems just by watching them. You're trying to, as we're testing out, it's a way to, and when we test. It's sort of a cool thing because I have the guy, um, guys and women that were last year's freshmen, they come in and count reps. So they sort of know, know what to look for. They've been through it. It gives it a little bit more credibility when someone who's gone through it and sort of uh, experienced the suck is trying to coach you through it versus a coach yelling at you to go faster or, you know, that rep doesn't count because you didn't lock out um but as our athletes are testing out on that myself and our assistant we're just walking around and trying to identify people who are under load who are given maximal effort what are we seeing I mean are their heels coming off the ground because they have just terrible ankle mobility are they caving at at the hips um do they look like a hunchback during their swing and Don't get, you know, when they do this, we prep them. We give them about a month of lead work in sort of that phase zero of the program, that introductory stage before we do our test. And, you know, it's one thing when you do some practice work. It's another thing when it's sort of a live exercise, you start identifying things a little bit more. Yeah, no. yeah.
1: no, as you mentioned, I'm just, I'm I'm kind of, my wheels are turning, right? Because it's so um, common to just go into a program and start working with barbells, right? Or even to teach, like even to teach a hinge, like the hinge portion of yep. the movement, right? Like that's just what we do. Uh, but the more you talk about it, the more I'm just thinking of, okay, like these are all really important. Or I, I even go back to thinking about the episode I did with Tommy John and Alex Lee talking about taking breaks from barbells for a good long while and just doing neurological reprogram training or a ton of extreme isos and various things but i mean all training is neurological like but in right. the, but then i think about the kettlebells and the neurology of that it's like muscles are going on and off there's a priority of you know it's like that the hinging forward and the the switching action of the muscles of the hips and then there's the posture and then even at the top of the movement like there is kind of that like energy transfer that takes the weight back down and there's there's a lot to it i i um, I, I, I still do a kettlebell snatch every now and then myself, and and I try to I combine it with like sprints and stuff and whatever. Mm. Dan John wrote that article a long time ago, and I was like that. But like, I the more you talk about it, the more I see, um, I see how that can be something. Or I, I just I see more and more the benefits of it the more you talk about it. I guess as as I'm as we're talking here, and it's it's really interesting to me. Uh, I was gonna say like for some of the like, I, I i picture some of my athletes like some of my tennis at, tennis and swimmers having potentially having a difficult time with that like is there uh i mean is there any athletes like like an athlete who just comes in and has you know has no background at all i mean are they is does it just take them a little bit longer to do that i'm not used to the test itself so i'm just yep. curious across the board with the populations
0: yeah it does um we you know, for good or bad, we still have some freshmen from this year. I mean, this is April 16th, and I still have some freshmen who have yet to pass the test. And, you know, it's nothing against them. They just they came in at a much lower stage than everyone else. And, you know, looking at their results from testing, um, they're still jumping higher. their Their body composition is improving. They're getting faster in a twenty yard, uh, twenty yard sprint, five ten five pro agility. You know, if you're seeing benefits of training, then who cares how you're getting it? Because yeah, it'd be. I wish I could say all of our athletes are. You know, our basketball team, all the guys are squatting four hundred five, all the women are squatting three fifteen, and they got such and such a power clean. But when it comes down to it, Joel, it's all about you know, the transfer, are you getting better or are you just doing things because it looks good in the weight room? Um, that's, you know, part of my view on it. Uh, otherwise freshmen, you sort of hit on the head. We're getting athletes who, you know, the division one athletes, they have a couple things going for them just genetically. They have a much higher work capacity than our, our athletes here. And they have a different sort of strength level. And they're just able to do do things with their bodies that our kids, for as much as they're working on it and developing, they just can't. And so identifying those issues early helps fix it. Plus, it's just part of the program of developing a kid. Um, because last time I checked, no athlete is ever recruited for their ability to squat, bench, power clean, or deadlift. They're recruited on their ability to play. And we're trying to force those adaptations to augment their natural gifts and just make sure they can play the game at a faster level. Don't get hurt as often. If you get hurt, you should be coming back faster because you're stronger and your body's able to handle those sorts of stress. And then just get, you know, and develop like going back to what we first talked about developing that confidence in yourself to be able to try new things to celebrate when you can break through those plateaus or making the impossible reality so did I answer your question on that yeah no that was that was good
1: and I and I you couldn't say it better like I was thinking as you're you you're know, you talking and you're like okay, some freshmen haven't passed the test yet, but their 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 movements their speed is going up and I was thinking mm-hmm. about. Um, actually, I posted this. I put this in my book, Speed Strength. It was a quote by Nick Garcia, strength coach at Notre Dame and SoCal and throws coach, and he was talking about you know his freshman football players, and one half of them did like, uh, like just a very functional, you know, a lot of kettlebell stuff and med ball stuff, and 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 I think like maybe some resisted sleds or some you know just basic basic movements that were not barbell movements, you know, basic human movements, and the mm-hmm. other team did the typical, the other half of the freshman squad. I want to say it was I was I, freshman. I hope I'm not butchering this myself. I did put it in my book, but like the other half did the typical, you know, bench and squat and clean and type workout. And the group that did the kettlebell stuff actually improved their, their sprinting and jumping more. But it's like that's what that group needed at that given time. They didn't need to go to barbells quite yet. It was like the engine still hadn't been, you know, like like you were saying, like it's like the, the engine still had a lot of probably force leaks and things that needed to get better. And, and who cares if it's a bar or not, it's like picking the right tool for the right time. And the more I think about, you know, the stage from year to year to year, it's like, it's almost like when you gain entry to that next level, it's like, okay, now it's going to, now you're ready for it for one thing and it's novel and it's, you know, it's going to carry its training effect. And then you go into the next thing. And I think it's, it's really cool. It makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Well, thanks. You know, when, uh, I talk to recruits when they come and visit on campus and give them the analogy of, we're having a conversation with you right now because you're a race car. You, you move really well. You're really fast. You're very good at the job that you, you're intended to. But race cars don't just get wheeled off the semi truck and go zipping around the track at 200 miles an hour. They come out, they do a couple test runs, and sometimes they realize, hey, we got to fix the fuel mixture, or the engine isn't firing quite right, or our brakes are wrong, or the chassis is carrying too much weight. Whatever, you know, they're doing these tests and trying to figure out how they can best tweak things to make the car faster. And that's basically what I'm, what we do as professionals. An athlete comes in, we test them, we sort of see where they are, we adjust our training ideas to really target those weak spots and then we retest and hopefully they're they're faster hopefully they're doing better and so in my mind everything that we have in the gym it's just a tool on how we accomplish that goal
1: yeah oh yeah for sure uh and then yeah i I think that's uh it's really cool to just say look like this is all tools too and then the end game is uh being the better athlete and one of the things that i know you've done that i think is really interesting that I know some people have done it and I've been through like the training, the formal training for myself of, uh, to a level, but it's vision training. And yeah. I've seen you do some of that like between sets and various things. And obviously, if we're looking at transfer, I think that, you know, the athlete who just can't see the ball or like, you know, my tennis guy who who whiffs a backhand completely every now and then, um, you know, that stuff's important. So can you ta- just talk uh, briefly on – you know, vision training and things you're doing, like, between sets to kind of squeak out a little more transfer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you hit it on the head, Joel, too, because if you can't see your target, you know, unless you're just running straight down the lane and track, it, you got to be able to have vision and see what's happening in front of you, especially with the team sport athletes. So um, with our vision work, we do a couple different progressions. We'll start off nice and easy, and we just... Um, it's sort of a glorified eye test that we all see it get done at the the eye doctor. It's sort of a matching game where I have a letter and number combination sheet about 10 to 15 feet in front of the athlete, and they have a handheld sheet too. And their goal is to keep their head straight, straight in front, so you're not shifting your head, you're just moving your eyes, so you're bouncing between the handheld sheet, trying to match the letter there, or a letter or number in your handheld sheet to the letter, the corresponding letter or number on the away sheet. Um, and we start them off just static. So they're standing, they're just moving their eyes. They could be holding the sheet uh, straight in front of them, over their head, to the left, to the right, below them. At some points we have them turn physically turn their body 90 degrees so you're working some periphery work out in the corner of your eye. Uh, we'll have them close an eye as they're doing it Um, once they start getting that mastered and when i say the sheets uh, we start everything off in black and white really easy white a white sheet of paper with black letters as we sort of periodize it and tear it up we start making those letters gray with different shades of gray uh, because it's sort of easy looking a high contrast color black and white directly in front of you But now when all of a sudden it's sort of that medium gray, you really have to force your eyes to contract and focus to be able to see the target. Um, Once they start progressing past that, we'll either do one or two things. We will have them physically move. So you might be doing some ankle hops as you're doing this, right, just trying to create some more distraction and force the eyes to contract at a faster rate. Uh, Basketball players... Uh, hockey players, we'll have them sort of box people out. We'll have one of their partners put pressure on their back and try to force them to move forward, backwards, left and right, just trying to simulate the same experience they have in a game. Uh, football, we'll get them down in an actual stance and have them move their eyes, looking around, trying to focus at different targets. Or we can keep them static, and then we start messing with the colors on the sheet. So instead of just a white background with different shades of black or gray lettering, uh, we'll make it a we'll make it a green sheet with you know try to stay away from Christmas colors so it's not green and red, but we'll start messing around with uh, different colors of backgrounds and fonts, um, different sizes. You know, I you know first time I did this I made the mistake of we went from like a 48 font, I'm like, oh, they should be able to read like a 14 and put (laughs) putting something at the 14 font, 15 feet away from you with a different color and a um, different shade, that was a mistake. I made a lot of people, a lot of people got pissed at me because it was too difficult. Uh, So just changing, being able to change font size, color size, adding some external stimulus between movements or fighting against pressure is our first sort of stage of vision training. After that, because that's relatively easy, everything's fixed. um, The next stage of the progression is tracking an object as it's moving in space. And it sounds complex, but it's really not. We just play catch with people. We have different color lacrosse balls. So, Joel, if you and I are playing catch, I'll have, I'll tell you beforehand, Joel, I want you to catch the white ball with your right hand. I will want you to catch the yellow ball with your left hand. And just real easy, throwing the ball back and forth, um, different positions. You know, we start with one ball being thrown, so you have to react to that a little. And a lot of it is just coaching the people up. We talked a lot of those conversations about been building confidence. And so it is, hey, Great catch. Great. You know, I'm glad to see you saw it, even if they dropped the ball, because not everyone, their job is to catch things. I'm just looking forward to seeing them identify a target, track it and make their best catch. And so um, as they're going, it's just that constant reinforcement in there. Hey, that's a tough catch. I'm glad you got it. Uh, you're tracking really well. well do you want, Do you feel confident to pick up speed? And if they want to pick up speed, we start throwing a little faster or we start throwing two balls at once or staggering the different throws. Um, Once they're done tracking things like that, and once again, that's forward. We're facing each other. One of us might be turned. Um, I've had people face away on the go call. They turn around as the ball's in midair. Whatever we can do to sort of minimize the time that they have to see the ball. And then lastly, we work on tracking a stationary object in three dimensions. Um, it's sort of a goofy thing. It's a I stole it from the from the Air Force Academy, but it's basically a, a string or a rope with we just use washers tied to it at different intervals. And one end of the string is tied off to the rack. The other string is you're holding it right on the tip of your nose. And you're forcing your eyes to diverge or convert. Um Divergence is when your pupils are looking out. Convergence is when your eyes, you're sort of going cross-eyed and your eyeballs, your pupils are looking in. And so we force our athletes to get them in different positions, converge at a target. So when you're looking at it, if you look at something in your cross-eyed, it almost looks like the rope is crossing in front of you it's making an x at those targets so we just have our athletes work themselves up the rope and then come back down uh that is definitely the least least liked drill <laughs> because of the, they're like, coach i feel like i'm an idiot you know someone's gonna look at me and i'm gonna lose the chance to go on a date with them because just the way i look i'm like don't worry about it everyone's gone through it uh, <laughs> just suck it up and get, let's go so did I answer your question on that, Joel?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that was good. There's a lot, vision training's hard to to do uh, without like having like a, a webinar style, right? Like here's the video, here's what we're doing. But no, yeah. totally. Uh, yeah, with the Brock string like that, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like p- things passing that test of like, I don't know, like, or or this uh, this idea of, like, you know, I look silly doing this. But then there's a lot of people who do that, and then they only see one string. And they're like, well, I only see one string. <laughs> it's right. like, there is something wrong there. This is important. So, yeah, yeah. the box string is a really, it's like the most simple but powerful tool for that type of thing. So, no, that's, that's really good. I also really like the idea of, like, tracking something in as short of window of time as possible. It's like RFD mm-hmm. for the
0: eyes, right? Or contact yep. for the eyes. Exactly. Last I checked, you, we really can't... Uh connect a weight to your eyeball to give it an (laughs) overload stimulus. So we got to change up with time, with speed, with something, so we can overload the musculature around the eye and force it to force it to move and track
1: yeah high velocity training <laughs> will exactly. make it stronger uh <laughs> good good stuff carmen well hey that's all the time i got this morning but thank you for sharing insights to your program uh it's it was really cool for me to hear because i think your situation is one that is both uncommon to a lot of people but also common to a whole lot of people and it was really interesting for me to hear your insights so thanks for sharing today absolutely man i'm
0: happy you called in anytime <laughs>
1: All right. thanks for tuning in for another show. We appreciate you guys being here, listening, and uh, it's just so good to experience this diverse spectrum of, we have researchers, leading researchers in the tendon, field of tendons, uh, track coaches just individualizing the heck out of sprinters and jumpers, in the trenches strength coaches finding out how to manage large groups and still confidence, and it's really cool to see these little pieces of how this whole world fits together. That being said, uh, as always, don't forget, visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com and Simply Faster as well as where you can find some really cool blog posts that Carmen has put together on things like vision training, the art of coaching, testing athletes, and much more. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're happening to listen to. We would really appreciate that. And we will be back next week with another great guest. We'll see you then.